Hello and welcome to Positive Recovery with Karina, being made for www.sobertownpodcast.com. I know it's been a while, it's been several months since I've done a podcast. Apologies for that, but as many of you know, my life has been busy in other areas and um, it's been a very sad time for me, but a very sad and sober time and a time where I have thanked my sobriety and been very, very grateful for it. It's been a time whereby I could have caved. The old me would have loved the opportunity to to drink on several occasions, but I've only been able to do what I've done due to my sobriety and due to all the support from the Sabertown crew and the I Am Sober community as well, because they really have been astounding with the support. And one of the things I've learned on this sober journey is that it's okay to ask for help. When I first started out, it was really difficult for me to do that. It really was. I just, I don't even post things. If I look at my early posts, it was all about all the positive stuff. Let's stay positive. Let's do this, that and the other. And I, no matter how I was feeling underneath, I wouldn't let that show through until I read a wonderful book, which many of you know, will know that I like, is The the Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. And I learned from there that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to, to reach out. And that's when my journey really, really changed in that I it was just brave. It was brave to ask for help. And the other thing it says in that book is when you've been at your strongest, it's when I've dared to show my weakness. And in showing your weaknesses, it makes you really stronger. And it makes others stronger too, because others realise it's okay. And it's it's being a lighthouse in a different way, isn't it? That others can follow your lead. And it really is okay. I learned at a very, very early age that, um, well, I thought I'd learned what I'd, a lesson from life that I took and gave myself. And the way I'd interpreted things was that you couldn't rely on anybody else. You could only rely on yourself. You couldn't trust anybody else. And that's something that's carried me through most of my life. But in my sobriety, I found that that's not necessarily true. There are people you can trust and rely on and that it's okay to do that. Yes, we're going to get hurt at times. Uh, We're going to get let down at times. But that's okay because that's another good thing that my sobriety has shown me is that it's you don't have to know. I don't have to know where every day is going. I used to want to plan. I used to have to know where my life was going. And one of the things I've celebrated in sobriety is the thrill of not knowing each day, not knowing what was going to happen. I have to say it hasn't been very thrilling lately. Um, I'm fortunate I've lost my, my wingman, the love of my life, died about six weeks ago now. Um, yeah, just coming up six weeks ago after a longish and then shortish illness so he we got back together three years ago and let me just tell you that we got together we first met in 2000 and as soon as I turned around we actually met in a bar in a nightclub but I wasn't drinking that night because I was on um, really strong antibiotics so I wasn't drinking I was just having coca-cola and I was at the bar getting my coca-cola and I turned around and I was just met by these beautiful blue eyes and I turned back and I said to my friend wow those eyes and she said yeah I know anyway we talked for most of the night I was sober and we talked all night and I had the best night but I wasn't sure whether I wanted to have 
contact with him again. And I think it's probably because I was happily single at that time, just me and my little boy Jack, who would have been three at the time, three and a half. And I was quite happy with my single life. And I think maybe a little bit of me was scared that I didn't want to get hooked in. But I, his his friend gave my friend his telephone number. And it took me from the Saturday to the Thursday to ring him. And when I did, we just spoke for about two hours on the phone. And he was saying he didn't want a relationship. And he wanted he was happily single as well. And I said, well, maybe I'd be the person, the woman to change your mind. I could be the woman of his dreams. And that was it, really. We set a date. We went out. Our first date actually wasn't that great. When we actually sort of met face to face, we were like, this conversation was really stilted. I even suggested perhaps I'd go and sit over the other side of the bar and, and talk to him on my mobile phone. Um, and that sort of broke the ice and we had a laugh. And from that moment on, he spent weekdays at mine and I spent weekends at his. And we fell completely in love but I have to say we had a drinking relationship and we moved to Lincolnshire um, for several reasons but we we moved away to the country we had a small holding which was wonderful we had goats and chickens and an acre of land and an old bungalow to renovate and the the dream was that I would go and work part-time and he we'd renovate the house between us but in reality we drank a lot of the time we just drank, drank, drank. And then just coming up to December, 21st of December it was in 2001, um, we had a car crash. Both of us were sober, I have to say, at the time. And it wasn't, and Andy was driving, but it wasn't his fault. And I sustained a back injury. And I went off, I had to go off sick. I carried on working for about four months until I could hardly walk. And I then ended up being off for eight months. And... I drank. I had PTSD, I had a physical illness, some strength pain relief, and I drank. My drinking probably got worse, and Andy drank. And although we loved each other, and it did get better and better each day, we drank more and more each day, and it was probably the height of our drinking career. Anyway, in 2008, Andy decided to move back to Essex. We kind of went our separate ways. Um, It had been... It was very heart-wrenching. And I remember Jack being so upset when he left, saying, Mum, you'll never be the same again. And I said, I will. It will just be different and we'll move forwards and it's okay." And it was. And I went my way and Andy went his way and we had different relationships um, over the time. And Andy um, developed leukaemia in 2009. And in 2012, he was terminally ill. But he had a bone marrow transplant, which saved his life. And when I knew he was terminally ill, that was probably one of the hardest times of my life up until that point. In that, I say, because being a nurse, I wanted to be there for him. I wanted to be there for him at the end. Um, I wanted to nurse him. But he was in a different relationship then, and that wasn't my place to be there. And although he would have probably welcomed it, I don't think his, his then partner would have done. So I just kind of stayed away. But was then so happy when I heard that he was in remission because we stayed in contact all those years we stayed in contact and he went into remission and in 2000 I well just backtracking a little bit I had got married uh in 2015 and one of the weird things was when Andy and I split up I always knew we'd be back together 
I always knew we'd get back together. I thought it would be when we were in our 60s. Fortunately, it wasn't. Our 50s came around sooner. And although I was very happy with Mark at the time and happy to be married and, and loved him in in my own way, and I did love him very much, actually, um, until the end when I realised, you know, woke up a bit, but there you go. But one of the thoughts I had was, oh, now I'm married, I'll never get back with Andy again because I'm married now, so that won't happen. <laughs> that was a real weird thing. I was drinking through all this time as well. Um, I'd continued to drink for many years, 22. Well, I started drinking at the age of 14, but I was drinking at least a bottle of wine every night for 22 years. And um, anyway, in 2020, my then husband um, decided to leave me because I had physical health problems. I was needing a wheelchair and a walker. Um, walker most of the time, but wheelchair some of the time. And uh, I was being medically retired, so I couldn't, we couldn't stay where we were. I didn't know what my pension was going to be. And he decided that he couldn't be there for me, so he left. And my drinking had got worse at that time because I just didn't know what was going to be happening. I didn't know where my life was going. My 37-year career had gone down the pan. So I decided to go and take a trip to Essex and I decided that on the way to break up the journey I'd go and see Andy and I that's what I did I went and saw him um we'd all nothing unusual there we'd always been friends he'd been up to mine um he, he knew my husband and then over time we just sort of reconnected again really and I just remember one of the things when we lived in Lincolnshire was that we were always um, when we'd gone to Essex and we were driving back, it was like we were coming home. For the first time in my life, I had somewhere that felt like home. And when Andy left Lincolnshire, it didn't feel the same anymore. I didn't like it there. And in fact, I moved away two years later um, to Norfolk. But when Andy and I reconnected and then finally I just gave him, I laid next to him and just snuggled into his arms and I said, I'm home. So he was my home. He was my home. And it just felt so nice to be back there. Now, I didn't see him for a while because it was locked down. It was COVID and that. And I started um, to look at my drinking and started to stop and reduce some of my drinking, as many of us do. And I had stopped drinking, actually, in June, um, but then had a little bender in the August. Um, but I had decided to stop drinking he was living down in Essex, I was living up in Norfolk and I'd sold my bungalow and I was then moved to my lovely mobile home by the lake, which I loved. And over time, gradually, Andy came and spent more and more time with me. But unfortunately, that very same year that we got back together, 2020, just before Christmas, I noticed a lump in his neck. And in the January, uh, his neck had swollen to such a size that he... He then did something about it and we went to see his consultant back at Bart's Hospital and were told that the leukaemia, his chronic lymphatic leukaemia was back. Uh, but it was mostly in his neck and I thought it was more lymphoma but they were insistent it was the leukaemia. And he started some treatment. So probably in about the April he'd started treatment. Now the thing is that I've missed to say is that when Andy had his bone marrow transplant and was going through all that treatment back in 2012 and that he couldn't drink for about two years so he'd stopped drinking really. He'd just have a beer a night 
Um, and when I'd stopped drinking, he, he didn't really drink very much at all. So kind of he got sober too. And then in the April of 2021, he had stopped drinking um, because of his treatment regime. But despite that, we'd, he'd got me into motorbikes and I'd bought my lovely bumblebee. And this man was my wingman, my forever man. And he really lifted me up and he really got me to see, to believe in myself again. Because he believed in me because he loved me and he trusted me and he got me to believe in me too which was amazing and well, I got Bumblebee and that year we started our, our coastal tour of the UK and we did quite a lot we went on the three and a half week tour which was amazing we couldn't do more than that because every month he had to be back in hospital um, titrating on medication having infusions and actually he wasn't too bad that year he did get sepsis in in October of that year which fortunately I was there with him and um, was managed to get him in hospital in time but then in January last year so 2022 the treatment stopped working and so there we embarked on treatment plan after treatment plan after treatment plan and lots of infections and lots of sepsis and we did do a little mini tour I think we did about a week away at the most on our bikes but we we still managed to, to live and enjoy stuff in between. We went up to Yorkshire and met some sober buddies down to Southampton and met some sober buddies. You know, that he was great at doing that as well. He'd come round and meet sober ladies with me. He was brilliant on our tours. So many of the, the sober community have met him. And, you know, there's lots of people out there that, that love him because they know of him or they've seen him or spoken to him on Telegram. Um, he's really connected with a lot of my friends too and um, Drifter especially he wanted to get out this year to see Drifter to go and have a ride in his truck with him um, and that's something obviously he didn't manage to do and um, also he wanted to get over to Ireland to see Lilo as well that had been on our aims and our goals but unfortunately um, in September he was diagnosed with lymphoma and he had a huge tumour in his throat and so commenced six months of really, really hard fighting. He fought so hard and I would have given up long ago, but he didn't. He wanted to live. He wanted to carry on. He wanted just one more summer. Um, and I said, when I said to him, what do you want to do with that summer? He said, I just want to spend it with you. And we spent most of our time in hospital um, through no, October, November, December. And do you know what? It would have been the ideal time. It was Christmas. I was embarked with him in the city of London, surrounded by pubs and parties and revellers. And old drinking me would have been out there drinking all the time. But sober me was present. I was able to be with him all the time that I, when I was there. And I was with him 10 to 12 hours a day visiting. And I was just fully present. And it was so much easier to do sober, so much easier to do. And of course, with the support of my sober buddies. And he did spend a little bit of time ha home in January, which was lovely because we got to see the lovely Polly A um, in January, February time, I think it was, she was over. Yes, we saw her in February. So January, February was at home. Um, still lots of hospital visits and hospital trips, but at least we did have some time at home. And unfortunately, then in March, things got much more tricky and he started having seizures. And then he became, they said, 
that he was going to be palliative, they were going to start giving palliative care to him. Even though he had had um, been harvested for CAR T-cell on my birthday, 27th of February, they harvested his CAR T-cells to try and save his life. Um, and we were hopeful. It was hope and support that kept us going, really. And then he had to have a palliative chemo. He went in the beginning of March, um, no, beginning of April, sorry. My dates are all mixed up, so right at the beginning of April or end of March, he went into hospital with an emergency admission with terrible tumours and terrible pain all over his face and throat. And the palliative chemo worked really well. It shrunk chemos really quickly. And uh, there was even a point there where the CAR T-cell was going to be back on point, you know, it was going to happen. Uh, but unfortunately, infections took hold and it wasn't to be. And on the 22nd of April, he died peacefully in Bart's hospital. But he was at peace and he said it was getting more and more comfortable each day. He had hoped to get back home, but it wasn't to be. And that's OK. And the reason I'm telling you this story is that Andy, when I used to put your comments and your suggestions for um my jar for podcasting he used to put i call it my cookie jar it's actually a memory jar and it's got lots of memories in there actually in places we've been and seen so i'm going to go and have a little look through them and places we wanted to go it was the aim was that we put our hand in and i start you know not because your your suggestions are on different paper and the memories are on a different paper we could put our hand in and see where we could go that day but he wasn't well enough really in the last six months to do or eight months to do anything like that really so when I got back so when sorry when I used to write all your suggestions out and put them in the jar and he would write the last two times he wrote something out and the first time it was something rude and led to my humor podcast and as soon as we got back as soon as I got back with Jack I said I'm going to look and see what it was that Andy wrote in my jar so I haven't delved in my cookie jar because I delved in my cookie jar on the 23rd of April. And what it written was, I talk about how much I love you and that you are the best. And that was just such a beautiful message to get from beyond the grave. And I posted it and some of you said, I can't wait to hear <laughs> about that. But you know what? We loved each other so much and we were the best together. And I kind of feel, what am I going to do now? because I'm on my own and I looked up at the stars one night and said to him what do I do Andy you are my home and my hand went to my heart and I heard him say this is home now this is where your home is it's in my heart and he'll always always be there and he'll always be a part of me and I know that um, my son particularly was quite worried when Andy died because he said I'm worried that mum's going to hit the bottle and yeah, the addict voice has come from time to time, but after sort of nearly three years in August, I'm quite good at shooting that bugger down right now and stopping it in its tracks. Still working on the sugar one, <laughs> but the alcohol and the cigarettes one, I'm good at now. And, um, you know, I, I need to honour Andy's memory with my sobriety because he was so proud of me. So proud of everything I achieved. So proud of everything we achieved. Um, even in the times when he was off medication, he could have drunk, but he didn't. And so he was nearly two years sober too. And we had the best of times. We had the sober times. It was also the worst of times. But do you know what? We did it together. 
and we were fully there for each other. Drugs aside, obviously, because he had to have quite a lot of morphine at the end. But I remember saying to him in that last month, you know, as shit as that this journey is, it is the most intimate and intense journey. And he said, yeah, I agree. Because, you know, when you're dealing with someone who's not dealing with, that's the wrong word, but when you're going through that experience together, when one of you is going to die and there's nothing you can do to stop it, all you can do is listen, support and be there for one another. And it is the most intimate and most intense journey ever. He is my twin flame and I was able to sit and hold his hands and really connect with his soul. I felt our spirits connecting, but it was the right sort of spirit connection. It was a spiritual, our spirits, our soul connecting, not the spirits in the bottom of the bottom or liquor, as you Americans call it. It was, we were just there for each other in every moment and in every sense of the word. And I could not have done it. I probably would have done it, but I could not have been there for him or done it if I'd been drinking. And sobriety, you know, I even sort of thought, this is what, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And I think that's where it brought me, my whole nursing career, my whole being medically retired, my husband leaving us, me getting back together, us getting sober, it all brought us to that moment, to that point. And hey, I got my wish, didn't I? I wanted to be there for him in 2012. If he was going to die, I wanted to be holding his hand. And he he stayed alive for another 13 years, bless him. And um, three more of the, three of those years together again. And that was the blessing. And that's what it came to. And grief is really sad. It's really intense. I really, really miss him. But I'm also really, really glad that he's now free from suffering and pain and that we're free from suffering. And it was an absolute honour to be fully present and to be there, to be able to walk him home. And as I kissed his cheek, that's when he took his last breath or breathed out. And that was it. And it was a horrible but amazing experience because it brought us so close together. And we both believe fully that our body is just our vehicle for here, that we've been together before and that we'll be together again. And I do feel him around me all the time. I mean, white feathers, they're everywhere. <laughs> white feathers are everywhere in, in places that are just, uh, you know, even floating feathers dancing across in front of me amazing so he's let me know that he's around he's with me and he always will be he'll always be in my heart he'll always be in my soul and sober I will continue and I will work through this and I will live the life he want me to and that's to carry on living and to be there for others but most importantly to be there for me and that's what I'm going to do stay sober be present until next time not another drop no matter what Bye-bye for now.